pencil shavings and plimsoll rubber, the scuffed mark of a trainer against the classroom skirting board, dormitories with sagging beds, the creak of a spring as a boy shifted in his sleep, that constant feeling of unease. That was before I met Ben, of course, before he saved me from myself. We've been saving each other ever since. On the table to one side is a large tape recording machine, too big really. I find myself wondering why it has to be so big, or why indeed the police still insist on using cassette tapes in this digitised era of sound clouds and podcasts and iTunes. I've declined a lawyer, partly because I don't want to fork out the necessary funds for a good one, and I know, given the circumstances, Ben won't pay and I refuse to get stuck with some snivel-nosed legal aid type who can't distinguish his ass from his elbow. I don't think Lucy's parents will stump up either. After everything that's happened, I suspect my in-laws might also be disinclined to help. Right then, says the woman, hands clasped in front of her, short nails varnished with clear polish, a tiny ink stain on the fleshy part between thumb and index finger. Shall we get started? By all means. Beige hair presses a button on the giant recording machine. There is a long, loud beep. This interview is being tape-recorded at Tipworth Police Station, Eden Street, Tipworth. The date is the 26th of May, 2015. The time is 2.20pm. I'm Detective Constable Nicky Bridge. She glances at her colleague, who then identifies himself for the tape. I am Detective Constable Kevin McPherson. Mr Gilmore, she says, looking at me, would you introduce yourself with your full name and date of birth, please? Martin Gilmore, 3rd of June, 1975. Is it OK to call you Martin? Yes. She clears her throat. You've been offered the services of a duty lawyer and declined. Is that right, Martin? I nod. For the tape, please? Yes. There is a pause. Greysuit shuffles his papers. His head is lowered. He does not look at me. I find this curiously disconcerting, the notion of not being worth his attention. So, Martin, Beige Hare says, let's begin at the beginning. Talk us through the events of the evening of the 2nd of May, the party. You arrived before the other guests, is that right? Yes, I say, yes, we did. And then I start to tell them. It begins with a door that wouldn't open at the Tipworth Premier Inn. Two, May. Tipworth Premier in, five thirty p.m. I don't know why they couldn't have put us up in the house, Lucy said, slipping the plastic card key into place. Not like they don't have enough rooms. The light beneath the door handle flashed obstinately red. Lucy tried again, impatiently shoving the key into the slot, and taking it out too quickly. I could see her getting annoyed, but trying not to show it. That telltale flush across the back of her neck. The square set of her shoulders. A triangle of concentrated tongue just visible between her lips. I watched as she made several more clumsy attempts, my irritation rising. Who was it who said the definition of madness was doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results? Aristotle? Rousseau? 
Here, I said, finally able to bear it no longer. Let me. I took the plastic card, still sweaty from her fingers, and slid it into place, leaving it for a few seconds before smoothly removing it. The light went green, the door clicked open. That's exactly what I was doing, Lucy protested. I smiled, patting her on the arm. There was a minute retraction in her pupils, almost imperceptible. Here we are, then, she said, too brightly. We rolled our suitcases into the standard suite. Calling it a suite was optimistic. The floor space was almost entirely swallowed by twin beds. A reproduction of a bad watercolour depicting ladies on a beach hung skewed above the headboards. By the television there was an electric kettle and a jam jar filled with tea bags.